Grab the mic like I ain't gotta be hard Flow courtesy, brother moves on, library card Your economy is all favors I pull up with a purple lightsaber And a 68 Buick and Sabre, I'm a regulator Niggas better mount up for the King Jewels And you better crown up Popping off at the mouth, but they don't do it around us And it's real simple Gee with the lentils I take a knee at the temple, not for political reasons My name is dreadful among heathens Spit it like Paul to the Ephesians I ball in any season The metamorphosis of Black Orpheus Black Orpheus Wrote in his Sphinx pose Supposed a genius couldn't think past his nose So a goal, the sadist found it outrageous Asking how does law impede good graces Gradients of laziness, that's what a racist is I'm a high man being late for a meeting with Bob Kaufman Hop off it, my dick I mean I scribe revisions while she tripping off a dimethyltryptamine Fuck a silver lining, divine timing is intuitive They used to call me Rory the Druid, I've been through it Nigga, I was born a weirdo, never fear though Ours is legion, seem decent till I part the season Fart in the kid, eat sharp, the jalopy needs parts But I'ma keep speeding And I'ma keep speeding I'ma keep speeding All right, we're back. Quentin, we took a little little week off there, Thanksgiving week. Uh, Nobody can blame us for that. Plus, there was nothing that we really cared about talking about. Um, Thought maybe if we put off, then we could do the uh, DO final. But uh, unfortunately, time hasn't made a fool of us there. So the final hasn't started. I guess we could talk about the tournament until the final here tonight later on. But uh, this week, we are can no more. And uh, Quentin, how you doing? How you doing tonight? I'm good. Yeah, we haven't recorded for a couple of weeks, so I guess we have a little bit, a little bit of catching up to do. But it's not like the end of the year usually is super eventful. I mean, it's like if you're, it's super eventful if you're a pervert. Well, you're. Well, say if you're a regular wrestling fan and you're not a pervert like me who does year-end stuff that involves a lot of time consuming, going back and watching things and making the list. Then I guess the year the year end is kind of eventful. You always have um, Final Gate and the last few Corkin Hall shows for Dragon Gate. You have the Winter is Coming AEW stuff where they just announced Brian versus Hangman um, in a couple of weeks. So I guess it's eventful if you're like a regular wrestling fan. But then if you're me or you who I have roped into this, then the end of the v- end of the year is meant for making lists. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This is the the busiest time of year. Uh, and I mean, you know, this final battle usually used to be something decent. This year it's kind of weird. Um, so we'll see where what ends up happening with that. But yeah, the end of the year is kind of the slump before we get started. It's it's the, the beginning of WrestleMania season if you're into WWE. It's kind of just getting started. Um, and now that, that Survivor Series seems to mean even less to kind of the outcome of what ends up happening at wrestlemania uh it does that basically the wrestlemania doesn't season doesn't start until royal rumble used to kind of started in like by survivor series you were kind of starting the wrestlemania season but not really anymore because you know they don't really set anything up on survivor series because they treat it like it just doesn't matter roman reigns roman reigns fucking beat biggie on survivor series i don't even want to get into biggie but like jesus christ (laughs) 
<laughs> I know it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's one of the worst things. It's one of the last things I remember from actually, cause I've, I've taken a break from listening to voices of wrestling. I think I talked about it already before, but, uh, one of the, the last things I remember is like just being so annoyed with, uh, agreeing with Lanza about, uh, Biggie and, and, uh, Bianca Belair, but feeling like it's for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? That's what, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to find yourself in where it's like, Oh, he's right. But then it's like, is it the right reasons why he's right? <laughs> Well, based on the episode title this week, I did want to start out uh, with us talking about Nakajima and Keno giving each other brain damage. Um, this was definitely something I wanted to start the podcast episode talking about because a couple days ago I, I tweeted it out, but I was listening. You know, I didn't get too specific about it at the time, but uh, listening to the Observer Radio and Dave Meltzer talking about these guys and how they're hitting each other just too hard and it's ridiculous and he doesn't appreciate it. And I just I thought about it and I'm like, okay, after... The whole, how the debacle of years of people fucking talking shit about the, you know, the, the Tomohiro Ishii Shibata stuff being just too brutal and these guys just being so insanely stiff. And then when American wrestlers and European wrestlers wrestled Ishii and then report like, actually he's light as a feather. Actually all that shit that he does doesn't actually fucking hurt. He's barely touching anybody. I would think that anybody who, who thinks that they can judge how stiff someone is by watching just only watching them on tape would shut the fuck up and stop i've been talking about this for a while even before the ishii thing how it's really fucking dumb to judge like wrestling based on stiffness because as someone just watching it you don't really know like unfortunately that's one of the few things where the wrestlers have the right idea where they say you've never been in the ring like you can't say how stiff somebody is until you're actually in there because some people are just really fucking good at working strikes so uh yeah yeah like unless you unless someone is like visibly concussed or whatever or like that you can't really be like oh that person was too like you don't really yeah, know. i mean even yeah. a concussion can happen from some random accident whatever happening you know what i mean oh yeah, oh, oh, oh yeah sure but like if something is like as egregious as like you know punting someone in the head and then clearly they're not right yeah. the rest of the match i'm like yeah yeah if you're <laughs> but, getting but no you oh go ahead but it's like no you have the right idea though it's like on some level, it's like okay, maybe you don't really know what you're talking about. I, if, I, if I push back, I would I would think that maybe with like certain like for uh, non Japanese wrestlers, like don't you think that there's a chance that maybe Ishii did work lighter with them than as opposed to how he how he works with like Goto or Shibata? If Shibata, sure, it's it's definitely possible. I could definitely see that in some ways. People you're comfortable with, you're hitting hard and all this, but. But when you hear that from people and then you see that in those matches it looks the same, that's when you kind of go like, right. okay. Like, I saw Shibata live, right? And that was one big takeaway that I had. After years of having been going to PWG and seeing, like, Roddy and, and guys like that who fucking hit, like, hard, hard. Like, you can watch them hit hard. When I saw Shibata live, I was like, oh, my God. This guy is, like, an amazing worker. I, t I talked about it even at the time. Because the shit up close watching it, I was like, this shit is so light. You could just really tell how light it was up close, like that close. So when you're watching it just on tape, it's, it's. I mean, it can be, it can definitely be um, a little bit more obvious. But even still, I mean, like you're saying, like, unless someone's known you know for injuring you know people or, or they're busting people up, you can see it. It's hard to say how hard they're really hitting. You know what's funny is like it then remember like the old debates about Matt Riddle and like oh Matt Riddle is comes from an MMA background but he's not hitting people that hard right. and it's like 
you know, like kick pads and then like raw shin bone, raw femur <laughs> are gonna like are gonna are gonna make a different sound, right? Uh, in a in a in a wrestling context, and I was like, I always thought it was funny because I'm like, you know, like I see these Matt Riddle kicks, and like one, the goal isn't to hurt anybody, obviously, in a professional wrestling, right? Yeah. And two, like, you know, just like raw skin and a kick pad are gonna are gonna make completely different sounds. And I don't know, sometimes, like, the thud from Matt Riddle kicks, knowing that that's all bone, all foot, all ankle, that's connecting with someone's torso, sometimes that was a little bit more unsettling than the fact, you know, of, a like, a nice kick pad right. shot. Yeah, no, I mean, there there's de- there's definitely some issues with it, and there is some something to be said about the way that it looks, necessarily, as opposed to how hard it was, and, and the delivery without the kick pads and all that stuff. But, I mean, fuck, you could even argue, even in MMA... And in let's say like bare knuckle boxing, because in in like you know boxing with gloves, that's the point of the gloves is you know to protect your own hands. I think people get that confused and they think like the point is to protect the the opponent. I actually, from what I've heard, it's actually worse on people to when they, to get hit by a boxing glove, like a gloved fist, because there's more mass to it. Um, you know what I mean? It's a it's a larger object hitting you. Uh, but the the point of the gloves is to protect your hands, so people who do bare knuckle fighting and MMA where they're not wearing any kind of pads, they don't throw every strike the hardest that they can because you can fuck yourself up by throwing the hardest strike that you can and having it connect with the wrong place or the person blocks or checks your kick or whatever. Like you've seen people break their leg when they're throwing a kick and it gets checked, right? (laughs) Multiple times. We've talked about it here on the podcast. So it's kind of like, okay, like not every MMA fighter throws everything full force. So, you know, wrestling, you're so used to everything looking like everyone's throwing everything full force. And that's why something like Riddle, his strikes maybe not looking the same. You know, that's that's part of the the difficulty of switching from MMA to, to pro wrestling. A lot of MMA fighters don't throw great strikes because it's just that's a tough thing to learn. And it's definitely a tough thing to unlearn, like the practice of like competitive striking. Um, or, or or at least when it, in like in like when, it, when you're doing it and you're coming from like. And you're an American trying to go like and do like traditional American pro pro wrestling instead of like going to Japan where like they embrace that stuff more so it seems like. So someone like, you know, like Sherry or Konami can come from whatever background. And it's like, oh, I can just kick people? Like, okay, cool, fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so again, I just think any conversation about who or what you know does or doesn't who is or isn't too stiff who hits too hard all this stuff i really think it's out the fucking window i i really think if you're going to judge this stuff you need to judge it just based on your personal preference and and i mean admit it like i admitted it on here when i talked about ishii in the past i got turned off because i thought that i got worked and, and i thought that he was stiffing people and it wasn't for me and I've talked about it before, even the like the the Sammy Guevara versus uh, Walter match, and I saw that live, and the brutality of it live, kind of turned me off, you know, in in the building, um, from like at the time Walter being one of the you know one of the best wrestlers in the world, there was something about it that I just couldn't, I didn't like it as much watching it happen in front of me. I just couldn't get with it, and but that's like again that that's taste, that's opinion, that's you know that's judging the match. And the performances, that's not necessarily talking about the professionalism and the danger. And, you know, because that's just, I think it's just really goofy to, to talk about that. I mean, constantly, any any of the people who do the concern trolling about spots, you know, high spots, this guy's going to break his neck, that guy's going to break his neck. It's like, 
I'm sorry, this stuff is freak stuff. It just happens. Some people, some people, you know, Hayabusa, and they break their neck actually on, like, a high-flying move, and then some people are, like, fucking draws and get paralyzed taking, like, a fucking Rydeen bomb, a fucking, you know, a short power bomb. Like, different things happen, you know? Injuries, all this stuff comes from a lot of different places, and blaming it on the spots and the way people work, I think, is just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Keno versus Nakajima, <laughs> the most dangerous match to happen uh, in years. What, what did you think? Other than like long, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the only description I came away from the match with. Oh, you actually watched the whole oh, thing. Oh yeah, I watched the whole thing. You didn't watch the whole thing? No, I know I did. I just, made, I just, did, I just didn't know that you watched oh, it. Oh yeah. No. Um, I mean, like my big issue with this primarily is that like. Again, like you know me, anyone that's like listened to me over the over the years know me. I don't have an issue with long matches, like you know that especially. Well, I don't have an issue with anything being long necessarily. It's always about how you like fill the time and use you know use the time you have and how you make it interesting. These two guys just don't have the skill set to work that kind of match. They just don't. I like long matches. I like matches where people hit hard. These two guys just don't have enough ideas, don't have enough in them to make a 60-minute match of this compelling. They don't have enough in them to make a 30-minute match of this compelling. For what these two are good at, for what these two are at their are at their best doing, this should be like a 20-minute match, a 25-minute match at most. I I don't I don't get it like I I'll, and I oftentimes understand like the draw as a as a booking tool. I understand it as a way to build things up. I understand it as a way to protect people. I also understand it as a way to get attention in this current wrestling landscape. That's usually what long matches are for nowadays. Like more than like a booking tool, they're used as a way to get attention. Right. I feel like this one. This and, one I really think part of it too was the champion versus champion. It was a way to get around changing the mm-hmm, title. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, so like this was like this was more in a way of like protecting than as than as a book than as a booking tool. I mean, then as a then as a tool like as a promotional tool. I mean, and like in in that way, I get it. But still, these two guys just aren't meant for that. What made Goshi Ozaki's twenty twenty so spectacular to a lot of people was Goshi Ozaki like filling the time with like some tremendous selling and how he paced things, how he paced out his moves, and how they built and felt like true escalations. Like there's something in, in there's something in the way of like okay like uh like Manami Manami Toyota versus um I think it was was a Kyoko or Takawan or, or Takawan away, um either way that one, one, one that sixty that sixty minute match and there's something to be said about going for at a fast pace keeping a consistent pace for sixty minutes and working and working a sixty minutes in a unique way that no one else really works at there's a place for that but just because it's unique in the way that people work a sixty doesn't mean it's good either. And I feel like this falls on the side where it could be unique, I guess, in the terms of how a typical 60-minute match is worked. Doesn't mean it's good either, and I don't think that these are two. Sorry, in 2021, I don't want to see Kano and Nakajima go 60 minutes. I don't think I wanted to see Kano and Nakajima go 60 minutes in 2018. It's just, I don't get it. It's, it's It's not for them. It's not for them. And if you're so concerned that someone shouldn't lose that match when you're when you're having champions face each other then don't book it or have Kano lose the belt before facing Nakajima or have it go like a 30 minute time limit whatever I don't, I don't know and I, I guess with like you're speaking from a 
like a minority standpoint because the fans and attendance, I guess, like it. There's going to be enough positive reception online for it. So obviously we're speaking from a minority standpoint, but like these two just aren't meant to be going 60 minutes. This doesn't cater to anybody's strengths here at all. You know, I would argue that uh, that Nakajima could can work a longer match, but he this was kind of we saw we saw him do it last we saw him do it, we saw him do it last year. Yeah. So like it's not Nakajima that I'm necessarily doubting but, here. It's him with Kano. Yeah, him and Kano, and and the character and and the the situation like the alignments I think are a big you know contributing factor to this Kano I will say not at all probably can't do an hour-long match like you said doesn't have the stuff there doesn't have didn't really have too anything interesting to add to the match for the most part um just you know whatever but not and then like part of it too is like that they're both they're in the same stable they're both heels and uh and you got this kind of new character Nakajima you talked about it but just last year with Go with the character that Nakajima was playing at that time, uh, you could do longer stuff and it could still be interesting. Um, with this, you, you, this character, you really can't cause he's more boring. Uh, that character with a lot more personality and, and really being a piece of shit, you know what I mean? And, and everything that was going on, uh, with that character and the antics, you can, he can stretch matches out a lot better to where they're a lot more entertaining. Um, and unfortunately with this character, you just don't get it. Uh, he does a little bit in here talking about, you know, the showtime and does the, the choke in the corner, you know, but there's just a lot less of the, the heel antics and the, and the real cockiness and a lot more serious and, and kind of boring and just makes the match feel drawn out and long, lots of big strikes, but realistically nothing i don't know it just didn't feel like there was a uh a raising in the stakes the strikes didn't really feel like they were building you know it just go from like the beginning to the end and they kind of sold some fatigue over time but i don't know it just felt like a lot of wasted they had some they had some leg they had like a little bit they had had a little bit of leg work and like that was cool early on and Kano selling his leg at, you know after after the kick and Nakajima kind of like smiling at him knowing that he has knowing that he has an advantage over him but then like the leg selling kind of vanishes which I'm not mad at because Nakajima also didn't work on the leg anymore so like gradually over time you can like use some logic and be like oh well if Nakajima stopped focusing on it then Kano's leg will start feeling better over time I guess but still even that interesting part Damn, we're shoot style guys, right? right. Like we like shoot, we like shoot stuff. Like, I don't ever want like even if like, I don't ever want to see anything like this go sixty minutes. And obviously, this isn't shoot style. This is more just like kick based or whatever. But like, even the best shoot style, like, like obviously we will, we wouldn't want to see it go sixty minutes. And like, that's why something that like you know like Yoshihiso Yamamoto versus uh versus a uh, Kiyoshi Tamura going like thirty minutes is like you know like damn that's incredible <laughs> like like wow they made that compelling for 30 minutes because that's like a uphill battle for that kind of style and obviously these two guys aren't nearly aren't nearly as compelling of mat workers to even like make that to even make that a doable thing for them so 60 minutes it's just tough it's tough and there's good things in it i guess like obviously they kick the shit out of each other like so from that standpoint that's good there's a crazy like reverse dragon screw and Nakajima takes a wicked bump for it. But then again, that also feels like it doesn't go anywhere. 
I don't know, but people, but people are going to like it because it went 60 minutes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the saying, like, uh, someone has a, a puncher's chance, right? That's, like, a, a pretty common phrase in combat sports, right? And the idea being that, like, if you're a striker, there's always the chance that you can catch somebody. You know, strikes can just, in an instant, you can finish somebody with a strike. Um, so, yeah, when it's two strike-based fighters here, theoretically, in the way that they present this, and you go for an hour, it really breaks that concept. As you talk about, like, comparing it to shoot style, like, it really breaks that concept. It, you know, the long grappling matches, you know, of the old days, you know, Farmer Burns and, and uh, Ed Lewis and stuff, like, they would go for days because they were grappling and there wasn't striking. You can grapple for days and days without getting a finish, you know? It's, it's like chess. You can end up in a stalemate. But strikes, you really don't, like, if it goes long enough, eventually someone gets caught. Someone's going to get tagged. So dragging out a strike-based match to the time limit, really, it just, again, it, like, fucks with the logic of, of and believability of a combat sport. Um, so, yeah, like, when you talk about the shoot style and doing it, like, <laughs> it's really, really tough to pull something like this off. And, and I'll say these guys didn't fucking do it. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's it for me. People, I don't know. I don't know if people are digging it. Like, people are going crazy for this. It seems it seems nuts to me that they are, but, I mean, they must be. Yeah, like I said, like, people, people are going to be into this, and that's why I know, like, we're not going to be, like, the, you know, the majority opinion on this. I so, guess like, not. Whatever, but, yeah, whatever. Uh, did you see Nick Wayne versus I Joey I was going to say, you know, before we started, you said you had a name for the episode, and my alternative name that I had come up with was, uh... Wayne and Vane. So this will be the Wayne and Vane section of the uh, of the podcast. Nick Wayne versus Joey Janela. Uh, you had some. Let, let me let me let me let me let me yeah, let me leave this one yeah. for you because I know like I did a review for it. Uh, so thoughts on the match and also some of the praise that you've seen for Nick Wayne coming out of this, whichever which in whichever oh, order you want. Yeah, go. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this was the match was was fine. I mentioned it. I. I mentioned it to you on twitter like this match when i saw the praise having not seen the match yet the first thing i thought of was there was this fucking joey janela versus uh brian pillman jr match from blp from like i think it was like 2008 2007 like a, a while ago at this point where it was like one of brian pillman jr's first matches and coming out of it i was super high on brian pillman jr i don't know if you remember this but i was like this guy's got something he's an amazing baby face oh my god you know Joey Janela did a really good job with him, but, you know, he's got something. And then coming out of that, Brian Pillman never showed that again. Never. And Janela was the was the reason. Janela is fucking good at this. Like, the, at in this role. Um, and he shows it off again here. I talked about it in that thing, too. Like, if you think about it, Janela played kind of the same role in his feud with Leo Rush that got both of them over because Janela had gone out with the, with the injury um, against... Uh, uh, Zandig and then came back and was a huge star. He had used that to make himself into a big name. So when he comes back, he was kind of looked at as like a big star above in the pecking order of someone like Leo Rush, even though in some ways they were equals, but in other ways they weren't. Cause by that point, Janela had been wrestling for a long time. I think I know, I kind of know this from just weird, like old podcasting stuff, but I used to listen to this podcast called the shining wizards. They had a podcast network that included a podcast called two and a half wrestlers that had Pat Buck and uh, Kevin Matthews or yeah, Kevin Matthews um, and another, a friend of theirs. So I can't remember his name who wasn't a wrestler. That was like two and a half wrestlers thing. Um, and at that time, Pat Buck was running, Pat Buck and Kevin were running uh, 
PWS Pro Wrestling Syndicate, and they had a character that was Starman from the old uh, wrestling video game on the NES. Uh, and the Starman was Joey Janela. And this was fucking, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it is, like, you know, 16, 17 years ago at this point that all this was going on. Um, so, like, Joey Janela had been wrestling. Joey Janela started wrestling when he was how old Nick Wayne was in this match. Like, he mentioned it in his promo in the end. But I was even thinking about that as it was going on. I was like, God damn, like, Joey Janela was wrestling pretty young, too. Like, he was at this age when he started wrestling. Um, so by the time the Leo Rush thing is going on, I think some people are just finding out about Joey Janela. But I had already known about him for quite a while at that point. And, like, he was a veteran. And he is a veteran. And that's the one thing that I think fucking sucks about the Joey Janela star and the Joey Janela spring break. And, you know, is that he's... he's been put into the role of playing like the the uh, the attraction the draw the guy who's you know the main event and and booking the spring break show and all this stuff but what joey janela really is would be the best at is like a like a jobber to the stars like you know journeyman kind of guy like he is the uh like the 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 epitome of that old like territory days phrase of like a carpenter kind of guy joey janela can wrestle anybody and make them look good Joey Janela can put together a match with almost anybody that makes them, like, come across great as long as they, like, kind of listen and follow his ideas. He can have a decent match with anybody. It's, like, the same thing that people talk about Tony Deppin. But the problem is is that Joey Janela goes out here and he's trying to get himself over. He's trying to be a star. And he's trying to have, like, big-time main event-style matches instead of... Or, 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 you, or, you, or you know what? Like, here's a guy that, like, you know, obviously, like, the ability speaks for itself. But, like, realistically shouldn't have like lapped joey in aw look at what eddie kingston is there's no reason why joey janela couldn't have been this and like we don't know what the situation was but yeah like you raise a point of like there's no reason why this or like what eddie kingston's doing and yeah eddie like joey couldn't have the promo battles with punk and like all these like like the like the moxley stuff and all that stuff that only eddie can do but in terms of like just eddie's like popularity and eddie's rise and like the kind of jobber to the stars thing, and he gets to mingle with the stars, maybe not necessarily win, but it, like he's like a like a like a like a borderline household name. There's no reason why Joey couldn't have been that. No, exactly. But but because so much of his career, because of, you know, in some ways, because of, and then like in spite of, it's fucked up his career. Like the the Zandig injury thing, which is funny because I talked about all that PWS stuff, and there was a he had a crazy injury when he was Starman that like gave him a crazy concussion. That was a big story early in his career that popped off him leaving PWS and kind of started up the, a little bit of buzz online about Joey Janela Cause he was talking shit on the internet after he got injured and all this. So it's kind of funny that there's these two big injuries in his career and both of them kind of bumped him up a level from one place to the next. Um, but the big injury in the Zandig match and coming back, it was like, okay, this guy's now really popular and people are super excited about him. So he started to like try to be this thing that he just can't be. Like Joey Janela is not a top top guy. He just really isn't. He can be very popular. He's he can be like the boogie woogie man. You know what I mean? Like he can be he can be a mid card popular guy who can work with anybody. He can put together solid matches. Like he can he can he can definitely make like people look better than they are with stuff like this. With stuff like I said with the Pillman match, and then even something like uh, the Ricky Morton match where it's like. Ricky Morton is still very good, but like, you know, Joey Janela got him out there doing Canadian destroyers and all this. Like he knows how to work for what crowd he's in front of. He knows how to make people look great. Like there's no reason why Joey Janela couldn't be exactly like you're saying, like not necessarily Eddie Kingston. Cause Eddie is fucking, you know, 
amazing. But in that same kind of role where, yeah, like you, he beats the young guys, but he helps make them look better. Certain guys will, you know, catch him on something to help put them over. And then the, the big time stars, they all beat him, you know, and that's the role that he should be in. And this match just reminded me of all that. Like, oh my God, this guy is so, so good at this. I had some fucking issues with the match itself though, really. Like, not, not, you know, nothing crazy, but there was definitely some stuff where I was just like, okay, the way that Nick Wayne was selling, I thought was good for, for some of this. Um, but I thought that Joey went over the top towards the end. I thought like the defiant underdog giving the middle finger, kicking out at one, all that stuff that was for Nick Wayne. And there was really no reason why Joey should have been doing some of the same stuff towards the closing stretch. It just, not only did it feel repetitive, it didn't fit his character. He should have been the, you know, he's the veteran in this. He shouldn't have been trying to do like valiant underdog spots and fighting spirit spots. That kind of stuff just didn't make any sense to me. And it goes into like these bad habits that Joey has and this, this, the brain where he wants to get the big pops because he's trying to be a star rather than just putting together the match to, you know, to, to basically focus and serve one master. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean the match itself. Yeah. Like did a great job for that crowd. I think Nick Wayne's really fucking interesting because he's got, he's, it's so funny. Like the Osprey comparison is so odd because he's nothing like Osprey was at that age. But he is a lot like Osprey was like five or six years later where he's like trying to be a baby face, but he's got like a natural cockiness and something to him that just I think that he's going to end up being better as a heel um, because I'm already kind of disliking him, <laughs> if that makes sense. And not even just because of all the way that people are talking about him, but like there's just something about the way that he wrestles and the way that he acts that... um that I already kind of like, <laughs> I can see disliking him similar to the way that it kind of started to feel about Osprey, uh, towards the end of his babyface run, uh, in like progress and stuff where you kind of started to be like, okay, this guy's going to be a heel. He's going to be a heel relatively soon. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, kind of all my thoughts on everything. It was kind of a bit of a jumble, but, uh, that was, that was it overall. What, uh, I know you wrote your review, but was there anything you wanted to say or, or, or respond to there? Oh no! Like I, I like the um, like all the Joey centric stuff. I thought was like real, was like a really interesting look at Joey that I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about regarding him because we all just kind of like start Joey's career from the Zandig stuff and like not everything that happened before it. And like we talk about Joey's you know matches with say like David Starr or whatever, but not like I said like like you're talking about Brian Pillman Jr. or like other people where Joey's made stars in a lot in a lot of, in, in, in a lot of cases, but like. Do you have, like, any thoughts on, like, the kind of, like, big, like, I don't want to call it hyperbole because if these people, like, actually believe this stuff. Yeah. But, like, these big, gigantic takeaways that, oh, Nick Wayne is, like, a wrestling prodigy and this and that. And, like, I guess, like, maybe some of the stuff I touched on in my in my review where I was, like, I feel like people are saying this because, one, Defy has nice cameras. And, two, <laughs> that Nick Wayne is, like, the only good teenage wrestler that the U.S. has seen. And, like, if these people saw Maverick Mayhew or Connor Mills, or if Maverick Mayhew and Connor Mills got these same chances, or Judas Icarus and Elliot Tyler and Travis Williams got these same chances, or LJ Cleary got these same chances, then, like, Nick Wayne doesn't really look that good compared to those guys. Right. I mean, you know, the thing is, like, the 16 thing, I just... I. 
that's another one I said like, oh, you know, like not, I find it very stupid and creepy to even be talking about. The creepy is like whatever. Right. It's, it's I think it's dumb to focus on and like the creepiness is like i think that there could be some creepiness there for sure and that's why i just don't i'm just like fucking drop it let's just not talk about it the dumb thing is like it's an arbitrary fucking number who cares i don't give a shit how old Mm. wrestlers are i just don't like i'm sorry but it's a fucking stupid thing to care about wrestling is not about like how old you are wrestling is about how good you are like why is everyone talking about this guy being 16 it doesn't fucking matter it matters like his wrestling because we've had tons and tons of wrestlers who've shown promise when they're young and then th- never me- amounted to anything. And then we've had plenty of wrestlers who weren't that good and then became great. You know what I mean? Like everyone just, and, and this is another one that I said, like, you know, everyone is so fucking busy, like wanting this guy to be this wrestling prodigy. It's really exciting because they want to have another person whose career starts and they're great from the fucking jump and then just have this long career of phenomenal matches that are all on tape. Because that's another thing about Nick Wayne is that because of his connections, people have been talking about and knowing who he is for a very long time. You know, and that's fine. I'm not denigrating to say that, like, that's why these people are saying this stuff. But I think that people want to have this wrestling prodigy who the first match that we have on tape from him is great. And then he's great for like 20 years and all that. But it's like, okay, there's no reason that we need to jump the gun on this, guys. Daniel Bryan is still around. The wrestling prodigy who's had a fucking 20 year career of amazing stuff from beginning to end, all of it on tape exists already. And you guys just want another one, but appreciate the one we have. Because he's still around and he's still having great matches. One of which I wanted to talk about here in a little bit. But yeah, I just, I feel like people, they really want this. They want this narrative and they want it so bad that they're, they're willing to see it when it's not quite there. But yeah, I mean, you named plenty of names there. A name that I heard come up and someone, you know, at least reasonably said Nick Wayne isn't as good as this guy when he was the same age as like Tyler Bate, right? Tyler Bate at the same age. Oh yeah. Oh oh, God. Oh God. Yeah. That's not even... Come Head and now. shoulders better, more diverse style, better storytelling, wrestling even like you know, you know his trainer in Trent Seven and having phenomenal matches like, you know. Th- I mean like I mean like if he, if he wanted to be like like obviously like it's nothing against Nick Wayne here, it's just more like about like the reaction to the match. But like, is Nick Wayne like you like you have seen him like is is Nick Wayne that much better than Ethan Silver, aka Kid Lycos was back when he yeah. was back when he was a teenager, no. or you know Noam Dar. Like, when Noam Dar was a teenager, like, you know, people forget about him, but he was phenomenal at the same age. Zack Sabre Jr., we've got early stuff. Maybe not quite the same age, but close enough. To, he was great. Chris Brooks, man. Like, when you talk about the, the, the British scene, they have a lot of better, younger wrestlers, right? Um, so that's... Not, 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 even, not, even just, not even just better, but it's like, we, like everyone got used to it. It right. was normal... To just have like, a, oh, this 18-year-old wrestler, this 19-year-old wrestler is really good. And I think in the U.S., I think on the U.S. Indies, that's such a rarity that when someone is, you know, that good that early, like early on, that's always like, oh my god, wow, this person is this and that. And like, the last person I remember it with, and like Daniel Garcia obviously was like really good a couple of years ago and just started getting his due really last year. But, like, say, like, Leo Rush. Like, Leo Rush was kind of yeah. like that. But Leo Rush was already, like, was only, like, 20, 21. Otherwise, <laughs> there's really no... Yeah, otherwise, there's not really any kind of, like, big teenage wrestler that has taken the U.S. Indies by storm. And, who's and like, I don't, obviously, we don't know, like, what Nick Wayne is going to wind up being in the next, like, year or so. If he's going to take the Indies by storm, necessarily. But, again, like, 
I feel like a lot of it is that the U.S. just has never had this. But like, you go anywhere else. If you go to, if you go to Vancouver, if you go, if you go to, um, if you go to England, if you go to Ireland, if you wanted, if you really even want to go to like Mexico and Japan, and we don't even have to talk, have to talk about like luchadors and Joshi wrestlers. <laughs> it's right. like, it's like I feel like I feel like it's just because the U.S. doesn't ever have stuff, ever have guys like that. And you could argue it's for the better, honestly, because like maybe yeah. oh, kids oh, oh, shouldn't be yeah. getting into wrestling, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, on top of that too. I mean, you mentioned Leo Rush, and I don't even, I don't, I, I don't even really want to get too much into this, but I think Leo Rush didn't even get the same. You know the same level of like, oh, you know, he's a child, and and that kind of plays into I think a racial dynamic where black men are not treated like children ever. So I think that even when Leo Rush was very young and he was a rookie, I don't think people looked at him the same way that they look at someone like Nick Wayne, right? You know, and I just think that that's true because you didn't get a lot of buzz in talking about how young he was. You know, that was not like a common conversation. Yeah, Leo, about- Leo, 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 Leo Rush is more so. Oh, he's a rookie as and he just started wrestling. Yeah. Not the fact that he might have been like 18, 18 or 19 or whatever when he was in MCW. Yeah, exactly. So that there is something to that as well to talk about. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Again, going back to my point with this is I don't give a shit how old he is. That's fine. He can be 16. It doesn't really affect it. That's why, you know, I said, oh, Yoya is better than him. And I, I actually fucking believe it because I've seen Yoya have better matches, varied styles of matches. I think that he's more technically competent. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, he's young too. Like, whatever. And then, like, but if you want to talk about age, like, Starboy Charlie is not, like, insanely worse than, than Nick Wayne right now. Like, you know, I mean, I, if anything, like, we saw that Bloodsport match with him and uh, with those two, and that was really fucking good. So it's like, okay, like, you know, whatever. He's 16. I saw the tag match with him and Chris Dickinson against the, the Samoans, and it was, like, really fucking good. Like, I think that Starboy is just as good as Nick Wayne really it's just, you know, it's this big singles match. And people, I do think that, like I said, a lot of it, people want to have a narrative. They want to be able to tell this story about this kid and how good he was and then how they've been watching him. Oh, I've been watching him since he was a kid and he's so great. Like, people really want to. Yeah. <laughs> people really are invested in having that story. And I get it. It's fun, you know. But the trick is just watch all of the wrestlers. Watch every rest, all the wrestling that you can, as much as you can. And then that way, in like 10 years... When you're on a podcast and you're talking about Joey Janela, you can be like, oh, yeah, I've known him since he was 15 because I was watching this obscure fucking New York, you know, wrestling indie that nobody knows anything about and listening to podcasts from 10 years ago. Yeah, imagine being, imagine like, you know, you're a Takuya Nomura fan from like 20, <laughs> from like 2016 or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, I was there. And now this guy is like one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> it's pretty easy, guys. You don't have to just pick one kid who's 16 and act like he's great already. Just watch all of the wrestlers, and then in 10 years, when they get good, be like, I've known them since they were young. And it feels the same. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, I mentioned it, but uh, did you see the day? Or, I don't know. Do you have any more thoughts on this? Uh, no, I'm good. I wrote a fucking review on this. So. <laughs> did you watch, was it Infinito, Infinito versus J? Infinito? Let's say Infinito. Yeah, Infinito versus... Uh, Ray Jazz. Yes, I did. All right. Well, here's okay. This one. So, like I said, if you want, if you need a wrestling phenom to appreciate, who a wrestling prodigy, uh, there's a perfectly good Daniel Bryan. And uh, what did you think about this? Because, uh, yeah, I thought this was phenomenal. I mean, like, 
I love the fact that this dude is gonna be like obviously this was like taped a little bit a little bit a little bit ago and we've been waiting for it to uh, come out. But I love the fact that this dude has been going on this fucking tear in wrestling. Uh, you know, uh, Minoru, Minoru Suzuki and Bobby Fish and Eddie Kingston and Dustin and Miro and all these guys going on going on this crazy run, having these incredible matches, simultaneously like turning heel and having these like super crazy squash matches the last the last few weeks on Dynamite. And then, oh yeah, I'm I'm just gonna fuck around and wear this mask gimmick and have a, and have this match on dark, like the the dude just he loves wrestling in in a way that few people love anything that they ever do in their life. Yeah, like, yeah. And, I, and I think that's what makes it funny when you talk about when we talk about like WWE not doing whatever they could to keep him, because all the dude wanted to do was just go wrestle people, and. If they would have let him just be like, "Hey, if you don't push me anymore, that's fine. I, can I just like go down, go down to Florida and wrestle Biff Busick?" Like, he he would have been perfectly content because look at him on Dark wrestling this fucking guy. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously, they had all the talent in the world to keep him interested because that was the thing, right? Like, oh, he doesn't have matches that are like exciting to him, so he wants to leave. But they had all of the, plenty of it matches that would have been exciting for brian if they had just let him like you said go down to florida wrestle all the nxt guys wrestle all the fucking luchadors and the you know and like akira tozawa like how did we not get a fucking (laughs) brian akira tozawa match the entire time can you explain that to me like (laughs) if you're really wanting to keep this guy but i don't know maybe they didn't which is very funny because they hired back John Laurinaitis with like the idea that it was his job to keep him, and uh, they haven't fired him yet. You know, <laughs> you would think as soon as he fucked that up, they would get him out of there. But he's still working there. Um, yeah, like Jesus Christ. It, obviously, it was important to them to keep him, and they couldn't pull it off. Um, and all you had to do was let him wrestle. This was, this was so stupid. Like this was just—it's fucking dumb that he comes out here, the mask, the bodysuit. I think uh, someone. There was somewhere where I heard there was like a he talked about this in an interview that he had an idea to just do this, like he was gonna go on the indies or rest somewhere else. You know what I mean? And and just be like in a bodysuit. I can't remember the story exactly, but uh, but I guess he's just trying it out here. <laughs> and, and I was hoping that he was gonna like do some like lucha high flying stuff. He really didn't, but uh, but he definitely wrestled different. He didn't wrestle a hundred percent Daniel Bryan style, but there was still kind of some grappling heavy stuff and some tricks and this and that, but. It's, it was very funny because as I was watching it, I was reminded of us talking about um, Daniel Daniel Bryan, which seems to be a common topic on this podcast recently, um, and talking about all the different styles that he could work. And I was talking about, oh, yeah, even when he started, he started out with a mask and wrestled like high-flying style. Uh, so I was like, oh, maybe he'll bring some of that stuff back here, but uh, but not quite. But either way, still, uh, still, uh, <laughs> still really appreciated this one. Um, and again, like, fuck man, the guy just wants to wrestle and he'll wrestle anybody on dark. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter that he just, it just this whole time just wanted to wrestle, did everything he could to wrestle. Um, otherwise I wanted to talk about, uh, well, I was hoping we could talk about Daniel Makabe versus Alex Shelley, but, uh, that has not made tape yet and, uh, was not streaming live. 
But uh, there was a Daniel Makabe match, I think, the night before in 5CC. Um, Daniel Makabe and Lee Moriarty teaming up after having wrestled each other before against the home team. Um, was it uh, Alan Jepsen and uh, the Big Hurt, Alan Jepsen and uh, the Great Bambina? Did you watch this? No, I, I yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't see this. Something okay, about it. so this was an interesting match. It had some. I would say that the best stuff in the match was Jepsen and Dan. Um, they had some interesting and unique things that they like. They put into the match together. Um, you know, playing off of the gimmicks and everything. I thought it was kind of neat. Uh, Dan goes for the big unit, the fastball punch, and Alan Jepsen being a baseball gimmick, he swings it. He swings at it like with a bat. You know, as like a and a Polish hammer and knocks the the fastball out of the park. Basically, I thought that that was a neat little spot, and the finish was very unique and really cool. But otherwise, I mean, five sided ring that's really small. Um, it's just I think it's really tough to put together a tag team match that has like a lot of structure and that you can play everything off. So it really was kind of tornado tagish and kind of fell apart here and there and didn't didn't have a ton of structure to the match. But there was some neat little spots. But primarily, most of the match. Uh, Dan and, and Alan were not going, uh, were not in the, the match together, so you didn't get a ton of that. Like I was saying, them together was probably the best parts of the match. Um, you got a lot of Alan and Lee, which was fine. Lee looked good, but not, you know, his best showings. Um, so yeah, you know, whatever. I wouldn't say go out of the way to, to check it out, but there was definitely some fun here. Um, but otherwise, that was it. There was also a Nick Wayne versus Adrian Quest uh, 5cc title match on the same show. I did check that out that out as well. Um, and this was just, yeah, <laughs> this was definitely, you could see, like, that that, that Nick Wayne-Janella match was not great, you know, just because of how great Nick Wayne was. Because anybody could have watched this match, and nobody you don't hear anybody talking about it. Adrian Quest is, is fine. He's a Southern California student guy. I've seen him a bunch at this point. Uh, you know, he's good enough, but not great. You know, he kind of reminds me of Chip Day in a weird way. Uh, similar kind of okay. decent. Not really that they wrestle too much the same, but kind of the same kind of worker. Um, and just in like that Chip Day actually was a lot better striker. Um, but other than that, like very similar kind of guys like that mid card can be good, can have decent matches. Uh, Quest is a little bit quicker, can move a little bit faster than Chip could, but Chip would do like suicide dives and things like that. Have the same kind of energy, the aggressiveness. Um, kind of like come off a little bit like you're kind of being like a mini Samoa Joe or something. You know what I mean? Kind of having that attitude, a little bit of a chip on the shoulder kind of guy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Nick Wayne was like, you know, hit some spots, did some stuff. But again, like, just like I said, people are like going crazy about Nick Wayne and not re and really overlooking how much of that match was Joey Janela. But I think we've already talked that to death at this point. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, not mean like, not really. Like I haven't, I, I watched some of the I watched some of the uh, some of the uh, the last few Do days before they get to the final, which I guess we could talk yeah. about. The final is confirmed as being Yuki Ueno versus uh, Kanosuke Takashita, which you know I thought that Okabayashi versus Ueno was like just the one that made sense if we're going forward with uh, like the typical formula. But I think there's an interesting uh, match here because obviously they were in the middle of a big Sakashita mega push. But at the same time, Yuendo has been getting a big push over the last two years too. And this has been a match that's been super protected that hasn't even like been sniffed. So 
I actually don't know how to call it. I think that if you look at historically, they've shown a willingness to have Takashita lose in, in, in spots like this. And yeah, uh, I guess before, like if, before we get into like talking about some of the highlights from the tournament, what are your thoughts on Takashita versus Yuendo as a final? And I guess your prediction for a winner. I, it's an interesting final because you've got the champion in the final. He also, did he, he won it last year? I'm trying to remember. Uh, uh, Akiyama Akiyama won it last year. He was in the finals last year. Which makes, what, yeah, which makes it like seem like more likely that he probably wins it this year. Yeah, as the champion, that's kind of interesting. Um, he did have the draw with with Okobayashi, right? And Okobayashi also had a draw with Hiroshima. Kind of looking at it, it's interesting that Okobayashi was so had you know two draws and long matches. Like they really, they really, uh, they really got their their pretty penny out of him during this tournament. Um, so it was kind of interesting to not have him go to the final because, as you said, it felt like he was being presented that way strongly throughout the entire thing, where it would have made sense. But you know, whatever. What are you gonna do? Uh, that does make it odd because now this final with Ueno and Takashita does feel. I feel like Ueno can't. I don't know. I guess he can lose, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have him lose. I think he should probably win this and. Uh, and I think that Takashita also, it doesn't make sense for him to win it, but it seems like it's very possible. So it becomes a really weird situation where on its face, to me, it doesn't make any sense for anything other than... It's a weird-ass it's a, it's a weird match, yeah. isn't it? Like, to me, on its face, Ueno has to win. It's the only thing that makes sense. But I don't I don't think that that's what's going to happen, because, like... I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure there's, like, the third straight DO final that Takashita's been in. Because he, it was him versus Shiozaki in 2019, him versus Akiyama last year, I think, and now here. Um, I'm trying to see. Okay, 2019 or 2020 has, I don't know why it has two. Oh, the final is Endo and Ta- Tanaka. In uh, oh, okay, 2020, okay, 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 2019, okay. he's it's Go and and Takashita, but you're just missing. So Go and Takashita. It would be right. three in a row if there wasn't 2020, which I don't even remember 2020 really at all. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I don't remember the Tanaka push. I don't yeah, I just kind of blocked that out of my head. That was a that was a bad year. Uh, bad yeah, bad times. <laughs> trying to remember. I'm like trying to look here and see like these Sakaguchi matches. Like I could have swore I could have swore Akiyama won the tournament, but like I guess my mind just decided to block out the memory of Tanaka's big mega run in DDT. Well, yeah, and also like the Dio has been weird because they like they start. They, they've moved it, like, twice now, I think, right? Where it's been, like, at the end of the year and then the beginning of the year. and Like, this one is 20... This is 2020. Yeah, the first one is it starts in November in 2018. Then the next one is, okay, October. Then they move it to, like... Uh, I guess it's been at the end of the year every time. It's weird that there's two in 2020, right? Because the other one ended... Either way, it's odd um, because there's this is the second one even in 2022 or 2021. Um, and, yeah, there was the 2020 with uh, Masato Tanaka winning. And then June won this year, earlier this year. And then uh, uh, now Takashita maybe wins. I think it... It makes sense. Are you going to have him lose in the finals two years in, or two tournaments in a row? It's the same year. 
Um, but then what do you do? Like, I don't know. I guess you don't have to get to Ueno right now, and maybe it's best that he doesn't lose a title challenge. I don't know. This this <sighs> fucking stinks. Honestly, I just wish it was Okabayashi in the final. I think. Yeah, I, I, I feel like they made this more complicated than it had to be. I feel like it, it, it wrote itself. Okabayashi is an outsider. Go to the draw. Have Takashita lose a couple more times. And then you have Okabayashi versus uh, Ueno in the final, and you set up and you set up two title matches. Yeah. So like, it wrote itself. So that's why this is so confusing. So like, part of me is like, okay, well, I guess Ueno should win here, but at the same time, it's like, well, it, doesn't it also feel like? I don't want to say burning it because we're also in like a weird and weird, weird times right now with COVID and everything, and like. What is what is burning a match really at this right. point? But like, it feel, doesn't it feel like burning like the last big like DDT match right now. I mean, what I guess like I'm trying to think. Yeah, basically, like this is kind of right now the only the only big match that they have that's like fresh. Any, 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 everything you want to relate to is fresh, right? right. Like everything you want to yeah. is fresh. Whether it's like you want to versus Hiroshima, you want to versus Endo, you want to versus Takashida. If they wanted to do like a big you want to versus Akiyama title match, if they wanted to do even you want to versus Aguchi, like everything you want to is fresh. And I feel like more than anything, and I like Takashida, maybe this so that could be a, like a larger Takashida discussion, is that we love the guy. Clearly, we've talked about him in nothing but glowing, glowing terms like for years now but the way ddt's booking him is doing no favors at this point because we've already seen him be the ace be the top guy in ddt for five years now going on six years now like this big mega run without any substantial changes to his character or changes in the way that he wrestles or anything like that is not doing him any favors well I mean, he has, he's changed the wrestling a little bit. And I, and I, I talked about it when we were talking about the, uh, the D King or King of DDT, um, tournament that he was wrestling a, a bit different. Um, and I was interested enough in that, that I don't, I wish that they hadn't gone back to just putting the title on him. Um, but I mean, yeah, like, you know, he, I'm the new wrestling style is working and, and obviously with him being the new jumbo, um, I would hope that it would go a lot better. Uh, but unfortunately it has not been panning out. Uh, it's not that the matches are bad. It's like in an objective sense, you can't sit there and be like, Ta- Konosuke Takashita is a bad wrestler. Right. right. But nothing about him is interesting. And I feel like he's just been largely the same guy for the last however many years. And, like, there's been flashes of, like, doing things differently. Like, remember that 2019 where he had that incredible performance in that in, in that Endo match? Or how dismissive he was of Hiroshima in the build-up to the Hiroshima match where Hiroshima won the title. Like, there were flashes of character. Even the All Out versus Sendai Girls feud. There was flashes of greatness in, like, a new character direction for Takashita that just never really went anywhere. And... I feel like right now the matches can be as good as they as as they are. The matches are going to be awesome because Takashita is an awesome wrestler. But I don't blame anybody for that. For anybody that's not particularly interested, because what is there to be interested in at the moment about yeah. him? No, that's. I mean, that's it. It's very 
boring. Even the endo, like the endo match, is fresh, but it doesn't feel super fresh. Um, I think that I think DDT is really suffering because of having him be so dominant on the top for so long, and then the way that they present him, it's just it kind of hurts DDT's you know vibe that they've always had. It's like they're it's kind of feeling like how so many other wrestling promotions in Japan have been, where they have like an ace who's the ace. Like DDT has like top guys, but I've talked about it in the past where like DDT can switch stuff around so much more fluidly and have like different people in, in the top position from time to time and other guys moving around. And, and Takashita feels very much like he's the ace and it just, it really is glaring in a company like this where they haven't historically really had like aces you know like this even kenny and abushi like didn't always feel like uh, like they were like you know the most dominant number one top guy at all times like they would have like detours and, and sidetracks and do other stuff more regularly um so yeah i mean i guess it helped that they would like work as a tag team with each other and then also like the feud that they had with each other that didn't necessarily always have the title involved and then uh, and then you also had Hiroshima. I think that's the thing is that like Hiroshima, they like weirdly even though he just had a championship run relatively recently, he just doesn't feel like he's being put at that same level. So you don't have like that to me at least you don't have like the one B or the backup guy that can feel like equally at the ace. They had the Akiyama run, but he doesn't feel like he's authentically DDT to where he just feels like an outsider, you know? Um, and then you've got Endo who just doesn't, he does so little for me that I don't really care. And like that hurts my ability to really see and feel him as like a top guy. So yeah, that, that kind of Harashima is not focused on and feels like not, he's not going to be positioned as a top ace kind of person anymore. Akiyama feels like an outsider and Endo I think would be your you know number two but to me it's just not there maybe if if other people are really into Endo I think that then maybe he serves that role well but I mean when he's not in the championship picture he doesn't feel like a top guy at all like can you think was there any Endo match in this tournament that you really felt like was like a, a fucking great performance from Endo like maybe the UNO match was really good and otherwise like he just never he didn't really stand out ever no, no, for def- definitely not. And I think that like goes to like, you know, how frustrating it is that, I, I mean, at least to us nerds like us, I'm not sure how he translates over in Japan, but like, someone like Higuchi just doesn't seem to like get the booking that he should, despite how over it feels like he yeah. is. And yeah, like Endo, they've already tried with Endo, and he's performed well in the matches. I can't really attest to like how his booking has gone, and some of it has been strokes of bad luck and other things going on. But like someone like Higuchi goes out there and has nothing but great matches every single time he's out there in the ring. I can't think of the last time I saw like yeah. a Kazusada Higuchi match that I thought was less than three stars, like minimum, and. Here he is, and this guy doesn't get to barely gets to do anything, and yeah, I mean, the, it, it makes EDT it makes EDT such a weird company. The way that you talk about it, you know, and we're talking about the you know towards the end stuff, like the last night here, like 
the Higuchi Takashita match was fucking ridiculous to me that you would do that with Higuchi. It's funny because I was like trying to find it and it was buried in the Slack chat, but uh, you know, <laughs> reference before. I would never call him this, but you called him this, Soccer Evan. Um, when the tournament, like the first night of the tournament, he talked. He was said like, "Oh, at least Higuchi hasn't backslid," you know, because the first, the, his first match on the tournament uh, was you know good, but you know it was a really good match. But I think it was losing to Okabayashi. Um, and, uh, I was like, oh, you know, but he's still being presented as like, you know, pretty strongly or whatever. Um, but then by the last match here, losing in fucking five minutes to Takashita, it's like, no, he's backslidden. They're not presenting him at the, at that top level. Um, you know, they're not presenting him anywhere near as strong as I think that they should be. And yeah, he would be like a really good number two kind of guy for them, but they just... He doesn't fit their mold, I guess, and they're just never going to go with him. But it's fucking, it's ridiculous because I think anybody who sees him, you know, that I've heard talk about it from a Western perspective, they're like instantly, this guy is fucking great. And you hear how much people talk about like, oh, he should, oh, imagine him in, you know, in all Japan or big Japan and all these other places. And it's like, yeah, but like, he also is fantastic in DDT. Like he fits DDT perfectly. He's not one of these guys who needs to leave. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not an issue of fit because he's still the best wrestler in DDT you could make a legitimate strong case for for the last five years. Like, if you're not a big Takashita fan and, like, I guess it'd be, like, between, like, Harashima and Higuchi for some people yeah. and, like, I guess there's other things you could throw in there. But Higuchi has a valid case since being back in DNA and, like, the first D-King where he had that insane run where back-to-back he had that fucking Shuji Shikawa in speedball and speedball matches yeah no <laughs> like like he he's he's had he's had a case for being the best guy in the company since then and it's constantly maddening to just see him not getting elevated while he's going out there still having the best matches of the tournament like for what it's worth the higuchi versus takashita match is still really good yeah. or higuchi versus harashima is great or higuchi versus okabayashi is fucking awesome obviously and all these are and all these are great matches and the best matches of the tournament but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really fucking infuriating to, to, to see how they use them. And it's constantly super upsetting. Um, another thing that stood out to me in the tournament. When we talk about the outsiders. I talked about Okabayashi and them getting their you know money's worth as an outsider. Bodyguard. Man, did he shit the bed or is it just me? Yeah. Like. Yeah, he didn't. Uh. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't uh, deliver in this spot the way that you like would hope, because this is a tournament with a lot of good wrestlers in it. You know, a lot better wrestlers than he would have to work with in say like the fucking uh, Champions Carnival the last couple yeah. of years. And and just yeah, yeah, just I got nothing. That's yeah, that's, that's tough. But but like at the same time, it's like there's been a few tags, but there's never been like that many bodyguard singles matches that I've been like super enthused about. The most notable one is a Kento Miyahara match in Osaka where Kento Miyahara was just like being a dick. And that's the reason why that match went to another went to another level. It's not anything because of particularly the bodyguard did. But yeah, you like you wish that they would have gotten a better guy yeah. in this spot. Like me and you kind of have ragged on him for a couple of years now, but it almost makes you wish like, damn, like where is Shuji Shikawa when you yeah, need him? Yeah, right. That would have been, yeah, that would have been uh, slightly better. Maybe, maybe, uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, like who? Yeah, who knows? Like, it's just it's like, oh man, like 
could have used some, some some Shuji Ishikawa here or like wow. I don't, I don't know wanna, I like don't... throw us a throw us a bone throw us a bone and get Fuminori Abe. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> like, Abe, shit. and then I was thinking, well, Abe's got a tag team partner who would be great, but we'll talk about him. Maybe we'll talk about his match here in a little bit after we get done with this. If if you're interested, um, but yeah, I mean. I don't know. Anything else you want to get into here? Standouts, matches that you you know from the last couple nights. We don't have to jump all the way to the the beginning. Um, like, did you see the Mao Chris Brooks five star match? Like, you know, you know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, yeah, all timer. Um. Yeah. You know, like one of the best matches yeah. of all time. Obviously. Yes, of course. That, I feel so bad. I don't even know who that person was, but that was fucking. That was a wild ass take. It was fucking like. Ben McCooley, whatever the fuck his name is. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, just just a, a wild take. I mean, I don't know. I guess. I guess. When I first, like I said, you know, in the Slack, the first time that I saw that, I was fucking shocked. Then I watched the match, and I guess I kind of got it in the sense that, like, if if somehow this, this thing really spoke to you, I could get it because it was at least kind of unique. But I was expecting it to just be whatever, but it was not, to me, it was not just whatever. It was definitely, it was something. It was a very, it was a very unique match. So I could see why it would stand out for someone. Um, to me, it was unique in a bad way. <laughs> it was unique in, in a in a negative sense. But if, if the uniqueness spoke to you, I could I guess I could see why. I wouldn't necessarily say bad. It was unique in like a okay like yeah. all right like kind of way know. the fucking arm work the chain wrestling on the apron really drove me crazy because of chris brooks like teasing like he was gonna grab for a rope break i don't know why but that really got under my skin i was just like come on man like this is fucking bullshit um but yeah 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 whatever um the i don't know anything any other standouts you want to talk about oh uh, no like i think we meant i think we mentioned like yeah, uh, did you like Hiroshima versus Okabayashi? Yeah, like, that one, like you know, you, you, you mentioned that one thirty. I thought that was better than Takashita versus Okabayashi. Yeah, sure. I was gonna mention that was actually probably one of to me one of the best matches on, uh, of the tournament, and I I did want to mention that. Um, so you know, you bringing it up is kind of perfect. Um, yeah, that was great. It was a time limit draw. It worked really well. Um, I was getting to a point where I was just like, God damn, when Okabayashi had like a, a fucking look like he busted a blood vessel in his eye and he's got a, he's clearly got a mouse under his eye that gets busted open and there's blood trickling out of it. And he's got this giant bruise on the side of his head and they just keep going. And I'm just like, God damn, like, you know, there was a point where I was like, why is Hiroshima being so fucking cruel? Just take this shit home. Like, dude is fucked up. Like his eyes like the leaking blood but then when it goes to the time limit i'm kind of like oh okay that's why he wouldn't just take it home because they were this was meant to go time limit you know whatever i guess that kind of makes sense but but that definitely added to the drama and the story of the match and yeah this that match kicked ass that was like to me that might have been the best match of the whole tournament um yeah what did you uh, what did you think of it oh yeah yeah i probably agree i think that it's between it's it's, it's kind of like all on that same block for me that Okabayashi versus uh, Higuchi and this and Higuchi versus uh, Harashima, which is all which is always wonderful. I really yeah I really I really like this too. I think that Okabayashi there's a better Okabayashi performance in uh, here than the, in the Takashita match, but it feels like they just had like a really lazy idea of a match there, yeah. and I feel like. They just had like more creative ideas and a more 
uh, thought into like the minutia and in between and finer details and points of the match here than they had in the Takashita draw. Um, I still think the Takashita Okabayashi match, whenever they do um, a title match, because you think because you know because you feel like eventually that has to happen. I feel like that's gonna be better than this tournament match than the tournament match was, but I would still have a uh, this uh, Harashima versus Okabayashi match towards the top of the best D-King matches so far. And for what it's worth, I think Ueno versus Takashita could really be good, depending on how they approach yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, it could it could be. And it does it does remind me of when that the, the draw happened, I talked about it, how I the, you know it would make, how this could be an interesting story that they tell for the rest of the tournament, that on the first night, Takashita gets taken to the limit against the, you know, the outsider big monster and, uh, and you know, goes the full 30, and now that's going to throw him off for the rest of the tournament. And that story was just out the window. And especially when you get to the final night and he fucking, you know, beats Higuchi, who's another big guy, in five minutes. I'm like, Jesus. Like, you know, like, they really did not go with that story at all. But whatever, they... they you know, I, I shouldn't fantasy book things that are better than what they're going to book. Um, another one that you mentioned that maybe we disagree a little bit on is uh, Ueno and Yoshimura. Uh, oh, I, did, I watched it earlier. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that was you really good. You said it was really fun. I didn't get much out of it, but I also was hoping for a lot more, I think. You know, tag team partners, big big singles match, first time ever, former tag team partner, you know. Um, and I just... I just felt like I didn't get much out of it, but Yoshimura also it didn't he didn't really seem to get out of the stumbling blocks until the back half of the tournament. So I I was actually honestly pretty bummed that he um he didn't have a match on the last night that his by night was on the last night because he hadn't really gotten going until like the last couple of matches. So I was hoping on the last night maybe he would be uh you know in full swing and actually having a decent matches. But uh, but yeah I. I I was just hoping for a lot more and it just not to say that it was bad, but I just didn't get a ton from it. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in, uh, in thinking that we're too far off and maybe you're just like, it was, you know, fun, but not necessarily like great. Yeah. Like I'm not, you don't like, you don't like love it or anything, but like, I thought, I thought it was, I thought, uh, um, I thought it was fun. I like to see you take a little bit more control here, even though you would think of Yoshimura as more of the bruiser. I like to see Ueno uh, be, be more in control. And that obviously played out in the match finish as Yoshimura wound up getting the win over his former tag partner. But I thought, I thought it was fun. And I didn't have like super high expectations for it because I don't have super reason to have super high expectations for a Yoshimura singles match yet. Like, even though even though Nautilus was, was good and I've seen him have good singles matches, I don't have any reason to be like, oh yeah, Naomi Yoshimura, this is going to like kick ass yet uh like you know as where like ueno we've seen him versus yusuke okada and yukio sakaguchi and through king of ddt and d king the last couple of years that yeah you have like reasonable expectations that this ueno match is gonna be good i'm just not at that point yet with yoshimura but but i don't know i i, I thought i thought this was i thought this was fun for what it was not one of the best matches of the tournament or anything um i, I liked ueno uh getting the color on his mouth yeah down in the stretch, that that, that, added, that added something to it, but no, I, I didn't think it was like great or anything. I think he might have just had like high expectations, and like Naomi Yoshimura just like doesn't no, warrant it yet. He doesn't. He doesn't. I'm just excited for him. I like him. I like his vibe. I like his look. I liked him in Nautilus. Um, I I think he has a, a certain kind of charisma. I don't get the reggae stuff. I really I wish he didn't wear the fucking reggae T-shirt and the whole that whole thing. But whatever. Um, it was funny because uh, Alicia 
saw him and I was explaining how he hasn't been looking great in the tournament. And I was really hoping that he would, you know, bring something here because this is his first kind of big, big time in a tournament as a singles. And she was like, is the reggae thing like he, him trying to say that he smokes weed? And I was like, I guess maybe it's super illegal in Japan. So they can't like have weed stuff. So maybe that's the closest they can do. Um, but yeah, just didn't, uh, didn't get much from him until like the Akiyama match. This match was fine. Not bad, but like the, you know, and the endo match, I got nothing. Bodyguard match, you talked about bodyguard sucks. Um, this match was good, and then the Akiyama match and the Hino match, I thought were both really good. And then that's why I was like, oh, fuck yeah, we're going to get into the final night. He's not even on it, so whatever. Um, anything else about the tournament that you want to talk about here? Oh, uh, no, fine. You mentioned a Takui Nomura match. Like, I, don't, I don't know what I you're talking about. I was going to see if you wanted to talk about the Nomura versus Aoki match that just got posted on YouTube a couple... Oh, you I did. did not I did not see that. It. Okay, well, I'd recommend. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that was out. I've been checking it out. Good buddy, Korwu. Shout out to the boy. Um, posted it on uh, on uh, in the Slack chat the other day. Got posted on YouTube and uh, really good stuff. So I would definitely say go check that one out. Uh, you talked about it, but Namora, oh, yeah. unfortunately, because I you know I mentioned it, I have not been paying enough attention to Big Japan lately. Um, you know, just, it, it, it's a little bit, I don't know, whatever. I just haven't been. That's it. No excuses, no reason. I just have not been. A lot of Japan feels really stale Feels really stale right now. Like, outside of, like, Dragon Gate, where they had to do these things out of necessity, it feels like a lot of Japan has been kind of, like, in this ho- in a holding pattern in the last right. few years. And, like, obviously, like, top guys, it's not like WWE necessarily, where top guys change and everyone gets, like, just, like, so, like, such a revolving door. I'm not necessarily saying that that's the best way to go about wrestling either, but you look at the last couple of years, like, oh, like this stuff feels kind of stale and like, it's been tough, obviously just based off the circumstances, but like, okay, other than stardom, like, yeah, like other than like Dragon Gate and stardom, like a lot of the stuff feels stale. So like, I can't blame you for not watching big Japan because big Japan wasn't necessarily like highlight viewing even before the pandemic. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's always had its its place, its, its stuff. But Nomura getting as good as he, as he is right now is uh, definitely something to, to watch. Like, I would definitely... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, If someone was... If someone said that Takuya Nomura was the best wrestler in the world right now, like, I wouldn't... Be like, like, okay. Yeah, well, we should we should have to prove <laughs> All it. Right. We should have to have the uh, Takuya Nomura versus... Uh, Brian Danielson match to prove who's the best wrestler in the world. Oh Jesus that, yeah. Christ! <laughs> that might someone might actually yeah. die. Oh yeah, they would fucking go. Oh yeah. Either way, um, before we before I get go too far down this road, Quentin, uh, I guess anything else before we head out or uh, get out of here? Yeah. Um. Obviously, we're about to spend uh, the next hour and a half talking about uh <laughs> and this cancer freedom yes. in uh Turkish politics in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no but no yeah a lot of people don't know that the turks were the original slaves um <laughs> oh man <laughs> no. jesus no. christ all right quentin well, uh yeah oh, i'm ready, ready, ready to sign it off or... let's do this oh yeah that's a uh, nice to have a nice to have a short show because Lord knows we're about to have a rough couple yeah. like next few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you all for listening. We'll be back, I guess. What are we gonna talk about next week? I guess we'll talk about some Yeah, DK. the final. And Yeah, and um 
Yeah, I guess, like it was. Okay, we might we might have uh, John Silver versus uh, Brian Danielson to talk about, depending on what day we want up recording. So we'll see. But thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time.